Welcome back, listeners, to another exciting installment of the Lace Out Podcast. And as usual, I'm your host, Christopher Pepper, and I'm glad that each and every one of you are listening on the iTunes network, through Spotify, through the Anchor network, or through whichever channel that you've uh, accessed this exciting podcast. Because most importantly, I love football. It is simply the greatest game in the world, and I love talking about it each and every single week with you. It's just myself tonight, um, but I really have a lot to get through because, in my mind, last weekend, round 20 of the AFL was simply the greatest round of football we have had for quite a number of years. I know last year, the last uh, last round of last year, we had some situations where teams lost <coughs> uh, their chance in the finals, <coughs> Melbourne, but this weekend was nothing short of something that's never, ever happened before. And we'll get into that in a moment by just the sheer margins of some of the games, or five games most importantly. But it was edgy of your seat stuff. I, I've lost my fingernails. That's how nervous I was over so many games. If you had a chance to watch some of these games, good on you. And if you haven't had a chance, jump onto the AFL app, jump onto your Foxtel app, even you know, jump on YouTube. Someone's got the, the highlights of the games. Even if you just watch the last five minutes of some of these games, it will blow your mind just the quality of the football. But more importantly, they were close games, but they were virtually high-scoring games across the board. I'm going to get into it in a moment. But for the AFL, who on the weekend were tinkering with the rules down in one of the VFL games on the weekend, I think it was one of those situations where you'd look at it and go, yeah, at the time, it probably seemed like a good idea. But now, um, it was awesome. I, I, I don't think they need to tweak it. And I've got a bit of a theory to why the games were so close on the weekend. And it had nothing to do with the way the game was played from a defensive perspective. And I'll get into that in just a moment. But it was thrilling. It was the first round in AFL, VFL history where five games had margins of five points or less. And it all started on the Friday night game with uh, the Tigers... 12-13-85, beating the Cats 12-10-82. It flowed into Saturday afternoon with the Hawks 16-11-107, beating the uh, Essendon Bombers 16-7-103. That then kicked into an exciting game up north where the uh, Brisbane Lions went down to North Melbourne 16-8 to 16-11. And then the Crow down, or the Showdown, or the Power Down, or the Blackout, or whatever you want to call it, another three-point exciting game where the Power were beaten 14 goals, 9.93, taken out by 13 goals, 18 by the Adelaide Crow. So there's five games there. And the interesting interesting thing to take out of each one of those games was that each game had someone either seal or steal the victory. Let me go through it. So the Tigers, by three points. And Ablett, Gary Ablett, one of the greatest players to ever pull on the boots for this magnificent game of ours, kicks a point in the late stages of the game, Geelong go down by three. The Hawks, uh, Warpool kicks the sealer in that last minute of the game. If you get a chance to watch the last two minutes of that game, it'll blow your mind. Three goals kicked. It went Hawks, uh, Bombers, Hawks, and they finished off again with Essendon finishing off that last goal. But it was exciting times. Another great game. North, Cam Rayner takes the mark, goes back. It wouldn't have been further than 25 metres out even probably more than a, maybe a 50 degree angle. And instead of going the drop punt, decides to go the Stevie J. Kicks it fat side, makes a point, North turn around, kick it down the other end, kick a goal, and they win it. The Crows win by three, and there was two controversial things out of this. Good old Ollie Wines, and you can't knock this bloke for trying. He is the heart and soul of that club, and will be the future captain once Boke uh, hangs up the boots. 
but he tried the Stevie J as well. Now, unfortunately, he sent it 13, bows, 13 rows back into the Eddie Betts pocket. Josh Jenkins has a shot. Did it hit the post? Did it not hit the post? Hey, we don't even know if Martians have hit this planet. Look, in my eyes, I don't think it did, but he kicks the sealer as well. And have a look, the Swans by two. Buddy kicks six, and McCartan kicks another late sealer as well. It's exciting football, but most importantly, high scoring. But most importantly, on top of all of that, it was highly attacking. And here's my theory. As the season's gone on, people have had to realize, or teams have had to realize, that it's not just making the eight that is a priority, but making top four, which is the high priority, even top uh, slots five and six to get that home elimination final. Now, pressure around the ball is one thing that's obviously going to make it difficult for teams to score. But that sort of went out the window over the weekend, and the biggest form of pressure that any of these teams could put into their games was scoreboard pressure. And if you look at this, we had 24 goals kicked on the Friday night. We had 32 goals kicked on the Saturday game between the Hawks and the Bombers. Another 32 goals kicked Lions and North. We had 27 goals kicked against uh, the Crows and the Power. So there's high-scoring games. And if you drop it down another couple of points as well, too, to the Sydney game, even though that was the lowest-scoring game out of the lot, you still had 21 goals kicked in that game as well. So, yeah, that was Sydney. Sydney do play that restricted type of game, but they were able to get across the line by two points against Collingwood as well, which I mentioned, 11 goals, 7 to 10 goals, 11. The only anomaly for the for that uh, Saturday patch was the Western Bulldogs, 15 goals, 13, 103, taking out the Saints. The Saints at one stage up by over 30 points. Once again, just happened to chuck it away. And if you were Alan Richardson right now, you would be pulling out your hair. Being up by over 30, having a complete 35-point turnaround or a 70-point turnaround for the, the doggies to, to go up by 35 at the end of the day, just not good enough. Their nine goals, 14, would have looked beautiful halfway through the game and then completely fizzed up. So we already know that some St Kilda assistant coaches won't be going on next year. Uh, the doggies, they're starting to get a little bit of form, but once again, it's left, left, left too late. But that attacking football is what's making a difference. And if we even move on to the, Saturday, the Sunday afternoon games, well, where Saturday, Friday night and Saturday were close, the Sunday games were complete blowouts, whichever way you look at it. Uh, the Giants, 23-13, 151 against uh, Carlton, 7 goals, 4-46. We'll get onto that. All the work that they did the week before was tossed completely out of the window. The Demons, look, they were playing the Suns on the weekend. They needed a big win, and they definitely got one. 21-17, which could have easily been 26-27 goals. I was at that game, and some just uh, average goal-kicking by uh, Tom McDonald, who is a sharp shooter of the team, kicked three points straight. That could have easily been uh, a 20 maybe the 25 goal win. But you know what? We'll take it against the Suns, seven goals, five, 47. And in the Eagles-Dockers game, the Derby or the Derby, depending on which side of the country you're from, uh, a casual 34 goals kick there. So a very, very high scoring game. 21-16-142 beat the 13 goals, 684 Eagles by 58 points. We know there was a massive talking point to come out of that game, which is Andrew Gaff. We'll get into that uh, shortly because the announcement of what he has been suspended has, by the time of this recording, gone live. And if you haven't heard, 
it was an eight-game suspension. So, in my eyes, Andrew Gaff, um, look, there's been uh, a number of ways we've seen people have been saying he should be banned for a year. There's been, you know, talk of criminal charges. There's been talk of um, maybe do we give him uh, uh, you know, 12 weeks. Well, it was eight weeks. I think that was, I reckon that was pretty much on par. If you have a look at some of the, the recent history um, of King hits or, or coward hits. Uh, it started with ba uh, Barry Hall quite a number of years ago. Uh, Tom Bug last year, he got six weeks for that. Basher Hooley got a, a quite a large suspension for his backhand or a Jed Lamb. Um, I think with the, where the difference with this one, though, was um, where the others were very, very deliberate strikes to the head. This one, yes, was to the head. But if you have a look at it in my eyes, I think he wasn't even aiming for his head. I think he was aiming for his shoulder or his chest. And unfortunately, as the arm swung Brayshaw dipped a bit and it was just enough to clear it and, and cop him in the mouth. Broken jaw, four displaced teeth, won't be able to eat for a month. The AFL uh, tribunal, they didn't have much of a much of a choice. They had to put him out. They had to put him out for uh, the rest of the season. If Brayshaw can't play, either should he. Uh, seven games would have been too convenient. Six would have been too light. And uh, you know what? The AFL could have done what they've done previously and taken the easy way out. But I think that eight-week suspension. I think a lot of people are, are happy with that. So um, that means he won't be able to play this year. He's going to miss, um, depending depending on also what happens, that could have been his last game for the West Coast Eagles as well. You know, there is there is news and rumours that he's coming to Melbourne. Fingers crossed that uh, the Ds are very, very high up in the uh, conversations there. But does that mean that you know, they're going to take they're going to take on a bit of that penalty? You never know. There's three games left for the year. If they finish top two, that's potentially another two. So that's five games he's going to miss as a minimum. That means that his first three games of next year are already out as well. You just don't know what's going to happen, and that's if they finish top two. Looking at the ladder, I don't think there is much chance of them being overtaken. I think uh, if you have a look at Collingwood, unfortunately with Collingwood, they have had too many injuries over the last uh, week. Uh, once again, Darcy Moore has gone down. Another one, another hamstring uh, is going to be is going to put them, the chances of them finishing top two are dropping every little bit. The only ones who I think I can catch them are the GWS Giants. They've got Adelaide this week which they should be able to take out. The week after that, they've also got um, uh, Sydney the week after that. That's potentially another win, so that's going to be a Sydney showdown. And last but not least, what's going to happen in that round 23 game on that Sunday afternoon is going to be up against the Demons. So that could be a battle of maybe Melbourne making the top eight and maybe GW maybe making top four, depending on how results go. And GWS cementing their spot in the top four. So the the finals at the moment, they're not locked in. And I think that's what's been most exciting about this year because the last couple of years, uh, the top eight has pretty much been worked out. But you're looking at uh, two games, two teams, the Cats and North sitting a game out. You've got five other teams sitting on 48 points. You've got GWS sitting on 50. West Coast and Richmond at the top again. It's going to be an exciting few weeks. So every game at the moment, moving for the last three rounds, they're eight-point games. Um, the perfect example is Melbourne technically could win this week and drop from fourth to eighth. They've got that brilliant percentage of 132.8, uh, which is second to Richmond. And there's the closest one to that is 124.1, which is the West Coast Eagles, but they're a game and a half in front of the D. So there's no chance of them really taking over. So they've, they've almost got that second game up their sleeve. 
Um, yeah, it's, it, it, like I said, it's going to be exciting. Teams are going to be going up. There's going to be a lot of movement at the top of the board in the next couple of weeks. Um, I will throw it out there, listeners. Let me know in the comments below. Let me know with some feedback. Send me a tweet at CJPepper06. Um, leave a review on or leave a comment um, in iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you found our podcast. I'd love to hear back from you uh, because most importantly, you can also find me on Facebook as Christopher Pepper as well. But I'd love to hear your feedback. What do you think is going to be your top eight uh maker and who's going to be a top eight faker all right um what else did i want to touch on as well oh how good was it to see buddy franklin get some form over the weekend um if you had a chance to watch that game it was a, it was a cork of the game between sydney and collingwood it was back and forth the swans they finally hit some form which was brilliant to see um unfortunately they're up against my mob this week which i'm not too excited for but I think the most important thing was to actually see Buddy come out and kick a bag. He's had quite a number of quiet weeks. Uh, and to come out what he did uh, was nothing short of extraordinary. If you have a look, he's actually had an absolute blinder of a day. His actual stats, if you look at it, were uh, he's had uh, six tackles. He's kicked six goals for, and three of those have hit the post. He's also had 17 disposals and had nine marks. You know what? The big fellas made some tackles as well. He was the most dominant forward out there. Uh, no one was ever going to get near him. And I think uh, that's Sydney's greatest weapon, but it's also their Achilles heel as well. Because if Buddy doesn't kick six, let's just say he kicks on a half that. That means that they've got, they're going to lose by two and a half goals. Now, going against Melbourne this week, who had eight players who kicked uh, two goals or more on the weekend, they've got a greater spread. So if you stop Buddy, there's a big chance you're going to be able to stop Sydney. I just don't think they've got the firepower to take them over this week. But it was awesome to see Buddy Franklin. So uh, snaps and claps to you, Buddy. Um, it's good to see that you had a brilliant, brilliant week. And uh, your wife, Jacinta Franklin, must have done something during the week to get you up on your toes. And you know what? If I was married to her, I probably would be on my toes as well. Um what I also want to talk about is the Friday night game against Richmond. Are they beatable? Well, I think Richmond have, um, I mean, uh, Geelong put a bit of a spanner in the works there. Because at one stage, Richmond were, uh, were cakewalking it in. I think they were almost four goals up and completely fell asleep in the last quarter. Geelong did what they did uh, a couple of weeks ago against the Demons. Um, down by a massive margin heading into the last quarter and kicking a huge score to get close within the end of the game. And I think the interesting thing is, is that uh, once again, it was their spread of players. Tim Kelly, I don't know how everybody bypassed this bloke, but if there was a rising star nominee or best first year player, he would have to go to this bloke, wouldn't he? He has been nothing short of a sensation coming over from Sydney. I mean, coming over from... Um, WA. He's had uh, 90 kicks, 17 handballs, 36 disposals. He's had three tackles. He's kicked one goal, one. But he's he's just slotted in perfectly. He's a little bit like Bailey Fritch from the D's. He has just slotted in to AFL football, and he he was just made for it. And so kudos to him because he was virtually the difference between getting them over over the line. Gary Ablett also had a a brilliant uh, game on the weekend, but unfortunately just couldn't get the chocolates. Um, and also a shout out to Ryan Abbott, first game. Uh, 10 disposals, 27 hitouts, and also kicking two goals. So that's a pretty good debut for the first game as well, too. Let's have a look at the Tigers. Once again, Kane Lambert, Dustin Martin, they just did what they had to do. The great thing about Richmond is that they have got a good spread of goal kickers. Castagni kicked two, Rich, uh, Rewalt kicked four. 
Um, I don't think they're as unbeatable as they were the previous year. And I think a few times this year, teams, if you kick the ball in directly to Richmond, they're going to find it a little bit easier. They have to be manning someone. and They don't have that freedom to, to run it out as they, as they like to do. I think if you have someone, if you have Rance playing accountable football on someone down deep and don't give him the ability just to peel off and run, it's going to make a, a massive difference. And it means that the midfielders are going to have to push up harder to, to create that run. Uh, and I think Geelong did that pretty well from the first, uh, first ball up of the day. They were shooting down the centre of the ground and... Um, yeah, they, they put Richmond under some major pressure. They did get away to quite a large margin. But as I said, in that last quarter, they came out, kicked five goals, two to two goals, uh, two goals, two, and almost snatched the game if it wasn't for that uh, late miss. But you can't put all the pressure on it because it, it is a 100-minute game. and You shouldn't be coming down to the last 30 seconds to win it as well, too. But, you know, awesome to see them get across the line. Hawthorne Essendon. Hey, I can tell you what, Aaron Francis, how did he get a fine for that bump? That was textbook. They always talk about the AFL DVD. That should have been on the AFL DVD because that was probably the best bump that we've seen in the game for quite a long time. Uh, it was perfect. It hit him down the line. It didn't aim for the head. It hit him straight down the guts. And now they're saying it's rough play. Come on, AFL. Put your, pull your finger out of yourselves. It's a joke. You know, it is a contact sport and things like that are going to happen. Just give kudos where kudos is due. It was a great bump. That's all we want to see. Um, but yeah, it was it was another game where the Hawks virtually had it in the bag and the Bombers came from nowhere again, kicking four goals in the last quarter to Hawthorne's three. But it wasn't, it wasn't the uh, amount that occurred. It was how rapid it was. So the Bombers have kicked virtually there in the last three out of the last four goals. Stringer's kicked it behind a Zach Merritt. Goal to Kale Hooker. Warple's kicked the one that's gone over the back. Hurley had a bit of a slip. He's gone through. It's put them up. And then Travis Colley has kicked a goal to make the, the margin a little bit tighter than it was. So it was out to 10 points. Brought it back down to um, brought it back down to four. But it was another, another cracking game of football. And that's all the supporters want. Gunston, you just can't stop him. Whether he's down back, down forward, he kicks five. Bruce, lock him in for an All-Australian spot. You're just going to have to find the other six. He has just been Mr. Consistent in front of goals this year. He's kicked another three. Bagley's kicked three. Stringer's kicked three. He's still got the worst tattoo ever in the history of AFL football. But it was good to see him get a little bit more of the ball. And, and once again, it was just another quality game of football. Essendon, you know, due to their own um, stuffing around at the start of the year, is going to cost them a final spot. Because if you put them on the form ladder, they are... If they're first, no one's going to get near them. They have been playing fantastic football, and it's going to mean nothing towards the end of the year. Springboard into 2019, but you just wish there was probably another two or three games to get them in. Um, I've been saying it all year. Brisbane, like I said, if, if you thought at one stage that they were going to even get close, they were down by almost six goals at one stage during the half, or during one stage in the. Um, second quarter and down by close to 30 in the last quarter but they just do what they normally do Brisbane they just keep going and they just keep going and they just keep going those young blokes have got belief Chris Fagan's done an amazing job with this group and if it wasn't just for uh, the number one draft pick Rainer slotting one and not taking time bit a bit of a, a mistake in that last um last minute of the game they could have stolen a victory um once again push themselves up the ladder a little bit more but you know putting another dent in um north melbourne's finals chances they've still got a bit of a sniff the kangas are they going to get there i'm i'm not too sure but you know it, once again if you have a look at the names mccluggage 
Youngblow kicks three. Rayner kicks two. Mitch Robinson, he's kicked another two. He has been brilliant for that group. Uh, Matheson, the diver, he's kicked two as well. Um, Zeebel, once again, another one who's uh, found his spot up forwards, kicked three. Walker's kicked two. Um, the young blokes, McCluggage, Zorko in the best again. Christensen's there. Barry's there. Uh, Harris Andrews. If it wasn't for him missing out a couple of weeks with the concussion concussion due to uh, good old Jeremy Cameron deciding to see if he could, uh, let's just see if he could time travel him and put him into next week. He'd be, um, he'd be all Australian. Backman, but unfortunately, you miss a few weeks, it's going to make it a bit difficult. Zeebel's in the best, Dumont. I'd love to see uh, Mad Jack Daw. His last few weeks have been some really inspiring football from the big fella. I know he's been um, the, the label of, you know, all about uh, looks like Tarzan, plays like Jamal. Well, he's playing some Tarzan-like football. I think we've been waiting a long, a long time for that to occur. So it was really, really good to see for the big man getting consistent weeks of football and making a difference. So he's got something to really hang his hat on there. Uh, you know, Adelaide Port, another... Brilliant, uh, exciting game. We've spoken about it. Um, Bryce Gibbs, he's 250th AFL match. You know, snaps and claps to you, mate. Everybody, you know you're a gun footballer when you wear the long sleeve jumper. I did it for many, many years, and it, it just, you know, it just gives a bit of a mystique because they don't know what's under there. And we're, you know, we're pretty ripped under those jumpers, but we just give it we're a bit soft, and it's just a massive illusion, and we end up blowing people off the ward, off the park each and every week. So good work, Bryce Gibbs, one of the best players to play in long sleeves besides Michael Tuck as well, um, and obviously Brad Hardy. But showdown 45, it will go down as a thriller. It did get down to that last moment. Uh, did it hit the post? Did it not? Like I said earlier, I don't think it did. Uh, Jenkins did kick three. Sloan kicked two. He was brilliant on the evening again. You can see why they signed him up for another couple of years. Um, from uh, Port Adelaide's perspective, Robbie Gray and Wingard, two little fellas getting some um, quality ball and making a difference as well too. Matt Crouch, Gibbs, Jenkins, Sloan, Atkins and Dodie. Dodie again having another brilliant... Um, game is he going to be a smoky for the rising star this year? I'm not too sure. People are saying Stevenson, people are saying Doty, people are saying Higgins. I'm not too sure. I reckon it's going to be a little bit closer. I think Stevens has sort of you know pulled it back over the last number of weeks, and I think Doty's making a bit of a stretch. So I reckon he could be the smoky for it. Gray Polak, Wingard, Ryder, uh, Burn Jones, Boke, Boke again, all, and another 50,000 going out to watch that game as well, too. Yeah, that's what football's all about. People are just loving this great game, and I'm loving it too. And I just hope for the next three weeks, this standard of football is going to continue. Um, we could then even move into the next one after that, which was St Kilda Western Bulldogs. I'm not going to touch on too much on it because we know what happened with this. St Kilda are up by a bucket load and then fell into a complete hole, uh, over 70-point turnaround. And if we just have a look after halftime, it was two goals, uh, 10, the Saints had kicked compared to nine goals, seven to the doggies. So they just put the foot down. Um, Richo is definitely going to be in... The board have come out and given him the full support, which is... Well, that's basically tapping him on the back with one hand and holding a knife in the other. Uh, Bonson Pally's come out and kicked four. Shaki, you know what, coming down from Brisbane, he's another bloke who's um, just... He's shining in a new environment and it's really good to see because a lot of these guys come from Brisbane or come from other clubs, get homesick, things don't work out, and they end up giving the game away. But he's actually playing some really good football over this year. And I think that's something that uh, the Bulldogs have really lacked that um, forward presence. I know you can say Stringer, but I wouldn't really worry about that. But having that, that full forward, they did try it with a couple of players um, over time, and it just hasn't worked. Cranberry didn't work out for them. Um, so... 
good to see Shaq. He's a young bloke. Give him time. He's going to be doing some stuff. And they had a good spread of goal kickers as well, too. They had nine goal kickers. I think two, four, six, eight, ten goal kickers for the night, which is brilliant. Um, St. Kilda, another game of, you know, could have, would have, should have. And you sit back and you go, for enough, how did, how did they beat Melbourne a couple of weeks ago? It, it's stuns belief when you see that what they've done against um, the Western Bulldogs. And to be honest, a pretty piss-poor crowd of 20,748 for two Melbourne teams. Man, no one wants to watch these two clubs. No one wants to watch these two clubs. One of them was in a grand final two years ago and won a flag. And the other one, um, probably five or six years ago, was looking like they were going to be the next big thing. It's amazing how far, how it takes so long to, to move up the ladder and how quickly you can drop out of it as well too. So they'll be looking forward to another another week, the Bulldogs. Uh, hopefully a win this week. And St Kilda, they'll be just looking forward to uh, setting some more midgets and partying the school guys towards the end of the year. Um, I spoke earlier, Sydney Collingwood. Like I'm starting to sound like a broken record here. That's how good the game was on the weekend. It wasn't a higher, higher scoring game, but it was just quality contested football. They went out, they did what they had to do. Um, you know, the city crowds, they've had 39,000, almost 39,500 turn up for that game. Um, for obviously Sydney, but more importantly, Collingwood being uh, one of the biggest clubs in the league. But it just goes to show that, you know, Sydney have embraced their football club and they're doing it so well. And apparently the feedback was during the, the telecast at the rugby next door, it was like a ghost town. So it just goes to show the, the real show in town and the real professional show in town is AFL football. And that NRL, throw it backwards, run forwards, crap. It, it's gone by the wayside. Um, Franklin kick six. Great to see. He had three in the first quarter. And Varco had three in the first quarter as well, too. So it was good to see um, some high scoring in that first quarter. Uh, and it just went, and it was pretty much toe-to-toe, toe-to-toe through that entire game. Um, like I said, it was that, that last moment in the last uh, couple of minutes. Tom McCartan kicks a goal to seal it. Siren goes. Swans by two points and get a bit of momentum going into against the D's and also an opportunity to seal that, that final spot. I think this is going to put a dent in Collingwood's top four aspirations, even top two aspirations. Uh, you just can't getting injury after injury after injury. Uh, the AFL's version of Keeler and Knightley, uh, Darcy Moore got injured again. Hammy went twing, Hammy went twang, and he won't be playing off for the, probably in the next few weeks. Interesting thing, though, is he actually ran off harder than he actually attacks the ball at any time. So maybe he just didn't want to be on the ground anymore. All right, we've talked about all the good stuff, and now let's talk about the fizzes stuff. Last week I spoke about, I actually thought that the green shoots were sprouting. Well, I think uh, the GWS Giants um, sprayed them with zero on the weekend because it was an absolute massacre. 105-point win. Uh, it started with a five goal five to one goal two first quarter and it ended up with a 23 13 to a seven goal four uh, final result. Um, now, here's the thing I said it a few weeks ago and I'm going to say it again Carlton do not deserve a priority pick. They've got themselves in this situation. They are supposed to be one of the, the big four clubs. They've got a great spine. They've got Cripps, Kerno, McKay, Dow. Liam Jones, they've got the makings of a semi-decent team there, okay? Another model I'm going to talk about in a moment, which is the Gold Coast Suns, they have been decimated. Their captains walked out. Their other captain might walk out this year. 
they actually need help. They are, they need as much help as they can get from the AFL, off-field and on-field. Now, if you said to me, who would you prefer to give a priority pick to, I would say Gold Coast any day of the week. Does it matter if they might have four or five uh, picks in the first 20? Do not care, because they're losing um, Tom Lynch, who's gone, preferably over to Collingwood or Richmond, and potentially Stephen May. I know the club's going to probably put some pressure on him to see, is he going to sign up this week? Depends on what type of player he wants to be. Does he want to do the hard yards? Maybe push towards his eight years and then say, listen, I've done everything I possibly can. I wouldn't say Tom Lynch has walked out. He had every right to. He's given that club eight years of service. Uh, Probably the club's let him down in a little bit. And I don't think he's done anything wrong. If If he wasn't captain and his name was John Smith, no one would care. But because he's one of the biggest players up there, he's a showcase up there, he's going to come down and command a lot of money. That's probably the only reason why he's been um, shot down. Uh, but once again, it was McKay, it was Cripps, and it was Murphy. Same old, same old. It is a bit of the broken record club. Broken record club is where my wife and her friends get together and tell stories because every time they do, it sounds like a broken record. So um, it is a broken record club. If you go and listen to this podcast and I talk about Carlton Games, the same names keep turning up again and again and again and again. But um, from a GWS perspective, like they are just getting more and more dangerous, and they've got some more quality to come in. That's what's, that's what's, you know, really uh, frustrating with this mob is because they started virtually the same time as the Gold Coast Suns, and they are just getting stronger and stronger. Where the other ones are getting weaker and weaker. And I think it just went back to who they got up there at the start, Kevin Sheedy, setting him on the right path. They had the right mix of experience to support them up there as well too, and they're just going great runs. Jeremy Cameron came back from his um, uh, suspected elbow injury after he tried to uh, cave in Harris Andrews' heads quite a number of weeks ago. Himmelberg's kick three. Tomlinson's kick three. Oh, I do have to point this bloke out. How good is he? Josh Kelly. Is he going to be the best player in the league in a number of years if he's not virtually already there? Um Melbourne could be looking back and going, why didn't we take him? Why did we do the Tyson-Salem deal uh, for GWS? But at the time, that's what we needed. He's had 41, 29 kicks, 12 handballs. He's had five tackles. He's kicked uh, a behind. That's probably the only blight on the day. He's had 153 fantasy points. No one's even got near him. Cornelio just do, is just getting back into some great form. Callum Ward had great form. Lockie Whitfield had great form. Adam Kennedy. It just keeps going down the list. And then you've got the people who weren't even playing. Like, unfortunately, it uh, looks like Simpson's gone um, with an injury. Uh, unfortunately, Delidio's gone again. You don't know what's going to happen with Toby Green. But they've just got all these players such as um, Dylan Shield to come back. They've also got um, Williams to come back. Zach Williams to come back. Uh, and a couple others as well. So they're going to be... Like, they are peaking at the right time. And like I've said before, actually, someone said to me, which I should have said before, premierships are not won in August. So no matter how well you're playing right now, aiming that one at you, Richmond supporters, uh, you need to do it on the last weekend of September. And you did it last year. I wouldn't be getting too head, too far ahead of yourselves because there's a, there's a GWS uh, orange, grey, and white giant coming your way, and they want to take you out. And I reckon they potentially can. All right, um, another game on the weekend which uh, I was at was the Melbourne Gold Coast game. It was a very special day for myself. Uh, it was the first time where my wife, who I've known for uh, 22 years, and my beautiful kids all went to an AFL game together. And it was such a great game. Um, I spoke to my wife at the end and I looked at her into her beautiful green eyes and I said, "Hun." 
how did you enjoy the game today? And she said, oh, it was great. I got through 90 pages of my book. That's how good the game was. It was it was over at quarter time. Melbourne have kicked the highest score by any team this year. Nine goals, three. They kicked another five in the second. They only kicked two in the third, uh, but went out and kicked another five in the last. They, they just decimated them. Um, Gold Coast... Look, it, it was boys playing men, really. It was boys playing men out there. I do have to give shout-outs to one of the Gold Coast uh, players um, in the name of Mr. Sexton. He was he was brilliant. Now, they've kicked seven goals for the day, and he's kicked five. What what more could this guy do? He was playing on Bernie Vince, and he made Bernie Vince look... Uh, he made him look old. Um, Alex Sexton, you know... Claps to you, my friend, because uh, you played your guts out over the weekend. And mind you, you weren't even playing up forward. You were playing in the midfield. So uh, actually, you kicked five of the Suns' first six goals. So congratulations to you. An awesome game. You have got some brightness there. But they, you know, as soon as uh, two-metre Peter went down in the first couple of minutes of the first quarter, you knew it was all over. Um, Clayton Oliver, Brayshaw, they're just having awesome years again. Salem, he was Brilliant. Um, going at around about 92% efficiency for his day. Um, and what was interesting about his day is, is that in terms of his possessions, he's had 26 going at around about 92%. He's kicked a goal. He has had a brilliant year. Um, Tommy McDonald, unfortunately, was the complete opposite. Our sharpshooter fizzed it and kicked three goals straight, three points straight. But I was rapt to see Jesse Hogan. Jesse Hogan has had a, a lean patch over the last number of weeks. Uh, and it was great to get it, get great to see him get some form. But it wasn't just around the ground form that he's been doing. Um, it was up forward. He's kicked four, but there were some strong marks that he took. One-on-one strong marks. That's only going to build his confidence up moving into the year. But, you know, if you have a look at the top two there, Clayton Oliver, he's had 31 uh, he's kicked two. He's had seven tackles. Brayshaw's had 27. He's kicked one and had 10 tackles himself. So, you know, they do talk about depth in Melbourne's midfield, and it is it was it was huge on the weekend. At one stage, um, well, if you have a look at it, there was 11 players, 11 players that had over 20 possessions. Now, from a GWS, oh, sorry, a Gold Coast perspective, there was only four. So that just goes to show that, you know, it was almost looking at what Melbourne were before Paul Roos turned up. That's how bad they're going. But that does show if you do get the right people in place, uh, you can turn things around uh, quite quickly. And I really do hope that they do get a priority pick at the end of this year because, by God, do they need it. Um, it was also great to see Aaron Vandenberg come back for his first game in a couple of years. And I did met, I did fail to mention Alex Johnson, mate. Um Snaps and claps to you as well, too. First game since the 2012 AFL Grand Final, and it was just really good to see. Even though we don't barrack for him, it's good to see success stories where five knee reconstructions, and he's come out and he's made a bit of an impact. Uh, that That's all you want, okay? So And that's what football is all about. It's, it's about people getting together, having a good time, and sharing good success stories. Not what we saw in the Eagles game on the weekend. Like I said, it was the Eagles who took this out against the Dockers, and it was pretty much marred by the Andrew Gaff incident. Now, I think the AFL have caused this. Uh, they haven't stamped out jumper punches. Uh, yeah, they have stamped out stomach punches, but that doesn't mean that you can walk around punching them in the arms, smacking them in the back, bumping into people consistently, pulling, prodding. In the 80s, that would have been self-policed, and the players can't do anything about it these days, and so they're up to the mercy of the umpires. And we know the umpires 
don't pay these decisions. They don't want to be pulling people. All they need to do is go play the first one and that's it. But for some reason they don't and they've let it go and they've let it go and they'll let it go. And unfortunately, and the situations occur where Gaff's hit Brayshaw, like I said, I don't think he was deliberately trying to knock his head off. I think he was trying to give him a smash, massive smash on the uh, the arm or shoulder. And as he started the swing, he sort of ducked a little bit. And it's caught him in the face. Hey, that's no excuse. No excuse for violence. Um, and he's going to pay his fair whack. But I don't think you need to hang and, hang and quarter the poor bloke as well. Okay. Uh, his season's over. Um, yeah, that's that's enough. Okay. He could potentially miss out on a grand final. And that's... That's going to hurt a hell of a lot. But the Eagles, they just did what they had to do again. And it was their goal kickers once again who have made a, a, a big thing. Uh, Darling kicked four. Cripps has kicked four. Ryan's kicked three. Rioli and Yao have kicked two. Um, when Josh Kennedy gets in there, it's going to just make them stronger. Fremantle, same old names. Matera, Tabanar, McCarthy, Walters all kicked two. By the way, how good was Walters, Mark? I tell you what, if that does not get him a new Toyota at the end of the year, nothing's going to beat it. And a nice 57,000 decided to turn up to Optus Stadium as well, too. Um, yeah, it's going to be, like I said, the West Coast just keep doing what they can do. They have to keep winning. A lot of us picked them to finish last. Um, also, during the week, you would have heard that uh, Sam Mitchell is going to be leaving the Eagles to come back to Melbourne. He was um, two years into a four-year contract, and he decided to pull the pin on it for family reasons. You know, once again, it's a 50-50. You signed up a contract for that amount of time. Should you honour it? Maybe. Maybe the Eagles will be wanting, well, whoever takes him on board will want some compensation to cover what they were going to be lost in terms of IP and a few other bits and pieces. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it was exciting. Like I said, we had five exciting games of football um, and four fizzes on the weekend. But I think if I said that uh, three or four weeks ago, you would have gone, nah, no chance. And I can tell you now, just a feeling, feeling deep in my loins that the next couple of weeks are going to be just as exciting. But what wasn't exciting was this week's edition of The Great Pretender. And this one goes out to someone very, very high up in the AFL. So last year, Gillian McLaughlin, the chief of the AFL, stated that uh, they pretty much have to do whatever it takes and make the hard calls to stop the on-field violence and the jumper punches, etc. And... What happened on the weekend with um, Brayshaw and Gaff, where unfortunately Brayshaw copped a fist to the head, ending up with a broken jaw, four displaced teeth, and not being able to eat for a month uh, any solid foods, was a reminder that it doesn't take much for something to happen, but when it does, people are up in arms in it. And one of the great debates was, do we get a red card? Fast forward uh, to earlier in the week and his quote was along the lines of well even if we had the red card system it wouldn't have made much difference to what would have happened what an absolute crock of shite the whole purpose of having a red card for situations like that is for when players have gone out and taken a player that is no way in any chance going to be returning to the field through an act that has been despicable uh, and is not within the spirit of the game, is ordered off for the remainder of the game to even out the score, that's what it would be designed to do. And I reckon if you spoke to a lot of people who would say, yes, it has to be something blatant like what occurred on the weekend for it to happen, I reckon you'd get a 
very, very positive response from a lot of people out there. And to hear the chief of the AFL come out and say that, no, I don't think it would have made much of a difference, contradicts exactly what he said. He won't make the hard calls. This is something what he wants to do. He wants to stuff around with the game by making bigger goal squares and having people start in standing spots, which, mind you, if you had a chance to look at the game on Saturday with the VFL, that stupid freaking goal square, that was an absolute joke. There was something right here where he could have gone, yes, we're bringing it in. It is only going to be for extreme circumstances, and everyone would have gone, yes, about bloody time. But you couldn't do that. You couldn't swallow your pride. And for you, Gillan McLaughlin, you are this week's great pretender. Episode of the Lace Out Podcast. Thank you very, very much for listening. Hey, I'd love if you could jump on and give us a five-star review on wherever you've downloaded this beautiful podcast. It would really mean a hell of a lot to me. I love doing this every week for the listeners out there. Um, once again, you can give me feedback on Twitter at CJPepper06. Look me up on Facebook, Christopher Pepper. Leave a comment on iTunes, Spotify, Anchor Network, wherever you've downloaded this podcast. The main thing is our game is in a great state. It is the greatest game in the world. And if you're like me, you love your football. Lace out. Have a great week, listeners. I'll see you next week.